Hi, I'm Raelle Bell. And I'm Liz Ware. And you're listening to a special bonus episode of That's Brilliant, a podcast by the American Lighting Association. So why is it a bonus episode, Raelle? It's bonus because it is outside of our normal recording and we're talking to people from Lightovation. What's Lightovation, Rail? <laughs> the international lighting show in Dallas. It is twice a year. Experts from the industry gather, showrooms come and look at the latest products from manufacturers and reps come and learn about all the latest and greatest and help showrooms. So it's really the place to be if you want to know what is up and coming and what's exciting in lighting right now. So while we were there, we found a bunch of people and asked them to think about where the industry was headed, um, what they were seeing that was interesting. Um, we talked to a professor who does lots of ALA training for us, and he talked to us about a new take on smart lighting that you'll hear from in a minute. Yeah, he has an interesting perspective on that. I really enjoyed hearing from him. And then we talked to our very own Terry McGowan about a new initiative towards dark skies. It's, it's a different uh, way to look at it and a new project that he's working on. So that's an exciting one. And, and I like that conversation because it's just about a specific implementation of, of night outdoor lighting. So we'll hear from them. We'll hear from others. And we're just going to skip around and do little five minute quick segments on a couple of different topics. We hope you enjoy. I'm here with Joe Rayborough, Professor of Lighting Design at the University of Kentucky and an education consultant for the American Lighting Association. So Joe, you gave some seminars at Lightovation recently and you took a little bit of a different tack toward defining exactly what a smart home is. Tell me about that. Yes. What happens is that because I have had such a great experience visiting literally hundreds of showrooms around the country and my experiences with ALA and just knowing kind of where the state of the industry is right now, I've been intrigued with the subject of smart lighting and smart homes because I have found that there are somewhat two extremes of how some showrooms are approaching that subject. One of those uh, extremes is a showroom such as Wolfer's Lighting up in Boston, who is a very large showroom, obviously, in a large, very large metropolitan area, who's, who realized the potential of going full blast into the smart home concept, literally merged with an uh, audiovisual company that does a lot of integration and does a lot of those smart home kinds of products. And so they took that marketplace that they're in and realized that there was potential there. And I give them full credit for that because I think that that's a way that some showrooms can approach it. However, the other extreme is that I've learned that some of the more mid-level showrooms and smaller markets are really not addressing smart lighting and smart, the smart home concept very much at all. And that is to a large extent because their profit margins are oftentimes built from the decorative lighting perspective. But the twist that I gave to the seminar is to maybe have us rethink what the subject of smart homes and smart lighting is. I mean, uh, there's obviously with this technology, a lot of razzle dazzle that you can you know, control your thermostat, you can control your hardware at your front door, you can have a smart doorbell. All of these things are great, but if we really talk about smart lighting, my theme of that seminar was to rethink what we say when we say smart lighting and that 
we're all in a sense doing smart homes when we do smart lighting. And to me, smart lighting starts with, well, just by code, obviously every room, when you walk into a room, the code says you have to have a switch. So that's not very smart just to have a switch to go into a room. But my experience has been that we underutilize just basic dimming and that dimming mm. can add tremendous value to what the experience is of living uh, in the house. I have dimming all over my house. For example, uh, many years ago, I actually talked to the founder of Lutron and he said, you know, one of the best products that we sell is this little tabletop dimmer where you can plug it into the wall and you plug your table lamp into that mm. little device and then you have a little slider. Well, we have those all over my house. And on any given day, I would say that those little dimmers are used three, four, five, six, seven times. Because when you're sitting in bed, for example, and you have it on your bedside table, you don't want to just hit a switch and have the bedside table be at one level. But it's pretty smart when you are able to adjust it. So, you know, if my wife is sleeping or if she's waking up, sometimes she's getting ready to go to bed and go to sleep. And she'll say, could you turn your lamp down a little bit? You know, well... I always think when we do those things at home, how many people don't have that capability with that simple product? Same thing with the bathroom. I, I like to joke, and I did this in this one seminar. I said, how many of you do not have a dimmer in your bathroom? And I said, I don't mean to make this a personal issue, but the fact is that I don't consider you to be a professional lighting consultant until you have a dimmer in your bathroom. Because once you put a dimmer in your bathroom, you realize that the level of lighting that you typically have is very dumb. Like it's usually way more than you need. But when you put a dimmer in the bathroom, you would be amazed on a given weekend how many times you adjust it because you can just, you know, if you're going out for dinner, you might want to raise it up to shave, put on makeup. But most of the time in my own house, we keep it dimmed all the time down to about 20%. So those are examples of where I think uh, showrooms that might not consider themselves uh, to be heavily involved in the smart home or the smart lighting concept can bring the subject into the conversation to say, yes, well, we don't necessarily get into a lot of the technology, but we do smart lighting in this way. So it's smart lighting if your automatic shades close the blinds when the sun goes up and your ceiling fan is tied into your thermostat and everything talks to each other. That's one way to do it. But another way to have a smart home is to to put in enough control so that you can just use what you need. And, and it can be simple. It doesn't have to be some whole home system with software that talks to each other that needs to be supported by an integrator to get it to all work together. Exactly. And that, that was exactly the theme that I was trying to propose is that uh, even though we may not in the showroom environment, say if you're in a smaller size showroom that's not really addressing smart lighting or smart home technology, we can still talk about it in that different way. And it is a little bit today easier to jump one step ahead. For example, one of the ways that smart home lighting really works well with some of the more sophisticated systems is what's called path lighting, which mm -hmm. is that uh, the idea of being in your kitchen or say being in your bedroom in the middle of the night, you want to go to your kitchen, you're in a big house with smart lighting and smart technology today, you can hit a button on your phone or on a device next to your bed and have a path of lights already self-set to illuminate from your bedroom to your kitchen. 
that is not that difficult to do, but that is taking it one little bit step further. Now, that used to be quite sophisticated and quite complex, but today it's not that complicated and not that complex. But nevertheless, I just go back to the idea of simplicity. For example, smart lighting in a kitchen to me is having a separate light over the sink, especially a down light that specially lights the sink by itself. And I can't tell you how many houses, uh, custom homes that I've been in where you went into the kitchen and I've been in million dollar homes where you walk into the kitchen and there was a switch and the switch turned on all the lights in the kitchen. Mm. And if there was two or three layers, uh, there might have been two or three switches, but everything was just either all on or all off, right? But there was no separate light over the sink, which to me serves a very important purpose, which is that it can serve as a nightlight in my own home. And I keep using my own home as an example, but I use a lot of basic technology. And that is one that I use a lot. Like that light over the sink stays on almost all day long and it gets dimmed up and down a lot. Thank you so much for making time to talk to us and tell us about it, Joe. My pleasure. Thank you. Hi, Terry. Welcome. Thank you. Good to be here. Glad to have you. This is Terry McGowan, ALA's Director of Engineering. And Terry, we're going to talk about you were walking around the floors of Lightovation focused on a very specific topic of dark sky friendly lighting. Is that right? Yes, that's right. There is a movement out there, and our ALA manufacturers are responding to it. Not that they haven't previously, because it's been going on for a while, but uh, right now, there's a lot of emphasis on environmental lighting, and by that I mean lighting that's kind to the outdoor environment as well as being decorative and functional. So dark sky lighting is a good place to start because it's quite easy to understand. Uh, there are so many fixtures out now and more being added, and it is certainly one of those things that I think every manufacturer and every retailer, every distributor now knows about, at least the subject but maybe not the details. So I was trying to figure out what was going on here? What new fixtures are we seeing and how can we apply them in different ways? And especially for the kind of landscape lighting that our retailers like to sell and, and which does such a good job in making homes look better. Exactly. And there's a, a very specific uh, project that you are looking into right now related to dark sky lighting um, for a retirement community. Yes, that's right. Uh, it's kind of exciting. Uh, it is a retirement community, so we do have to watch uh, out for older eyes, which means more light and less glare. But that's really what dark sky lighting is all about, except it's less light. Uh, the glare, though, the glare control is, is really super uh, with dark sky lighting. But anyway, in this community, and there's about 300 people there, uh, I'm designing the lighting right now, working with them on the pathway lighting. And these will be a series of bollards that are shielded. So the light is on the path and it is also automatic in the sense that at night it comes on at a low level. If somebody enters the path, as they go by each fixture, it brightens up to approximately uh, double what it was. And so the path is beautifully illuminated to what older eyes need. And then five minutes after the person passes, it dims down again. So it's very unobtrusive. Nobody has to press a button. It's uh, all sensing, uh, but it does a great job in maintaining the nighttime environment while providing the proper amount of light for people using the path. Wow. What an interesting idea that you can have 
plenty of light that illuminates for eyes that require more light, but still protect the environment and not over pollute with excess light in the evenings. I love that. Well, it, it was exciting to do. And uh, it just went in, you know, after six months of fiddling around in winter and of course, construction delays this, this time of year, why it went in and we turned it on just recently. And I started getting calls or people stopping me in the street. Oh, we love this new lighting. Why, this is great. <laughs> what does it do at night? It brightens up when I go by. It's just exciting to see how people respond to things like that. Yes, it is. That's so cool. I, I want to see it myself. I, I need to check that out. Hopefully we can get a video or something that we could share. Uh, easily done. Yes. All right. We'll be on the lookout for that. If we can get it in time, we'll add it to the show notes as well. Uh, good. <laughs> Thank you so much, Terry. I, I love hearing about what's up and coming and what, what people are developing uh, related to dark sky lighting. That's so exciting. Well, thank you. It was great to be a part of this. And there are so many things going on. I hope you'll check back from time to time because it is going to be an exciting year this year. Pent up demand, pent up ideas, <laughs> pent up <laughs> technology. It's all going to come bursting out at us. And the trick will be for ALA members to keep up to date, but that's part of my job. So I'm going to have fun and I hope they do too. Yes. Well, we will definitely continue to lean on you uh, for information there. Thank uh, you so much, Terry. You're very welcome. I'm here with Liz Townsend, the marketing director at Capital Lighting Fixture Company and a new member of the Product Data Standard Committee at the American Lighting Association. First things first, what is a product data standard? <laughs> That's a great question. The intention of the product data standards is to have universal goals for the data that aligns with product listings on a page. When you're on a website or trying to learn more about a specific item, a light fixture for other companies, it's for fans or um, other things. So when I am searching on the internet for a project or uh, a lighting product, or when a person who works in a lighting store is searching, let's say uh, a designer comes in with certain parameters. I need a chandelier. It can only be this big. It needs to have this color finish. Those are the kind of things that are in the product data standard. Exactly. The manufacturer is putting all of that data attached to their items so that when they're fed into a uh, interface, like searching online for a showroom customer at their website level, they're able to filter by those different parameters. So it can be very minimal and just include dimensions and colors like you mentioned, or it can go really deep and include very specific specifications about that item type. Um, like for fans, doesn't include remote or for uh, light fixtures, is it plug-in optional or does it articulate? Those kinds of very specific details can also be part of the product data. There are dozens of fields. There are more it fields can, than you think. It can go up to hundreds. It can go up to hundreds of fields. Oh my gosh. It does depend on the different customer's interface. So that means they might have their column structure of a data sheet set up differently than the manufacturer has by default in their own internal systems. So sometimes there's a lot of matching and lining up to make sure the right data is put in the right place. 
So if everyone, if all manufacturers do this, then that makes searching for lighting manufacturers really simple. You can know exactly what your parameters are and search every single lighting fixture there is. Uh, is it as simple as that? I think that's the goal. I think that um, part of the reason that we have this product data standard committee is we're trying to find common language around um, what different manufacturers, different customers all call the products. So making sure that we're using the same language will help the end users find fixtures more easily and just make the uh, product data implementation process a little smoother and easier for everyone as well. So some things might be a mini chandelier at one company and a pendant at another company. But if exactly. you've got the dimensions, I would think that you could just skip the title and just say, I need something this wide and this long and, and get the right size anyway. Yes. You, you, and I think technology has improved to allow a lot more of that. I kind of know the ballpark of the size and space I need. Maybe I don't need those specific terms, but the way that a lot of the product data is organized is by the category level. And so sometimes it is important that you have to determine if something is a chandelier so that you can have the right parameters and make sure it doesn't have backplate dimensions because chandeliers don't have a backplate, for example. So a lot of that more nuanced uh, product data is driven by the category level. So if you've got a sconce, there's even a field to, for the size of the backplate that the sconce attaches to the wall with? That yes. matters, yeah. And, and something that I didn't understand when I first started a few years ago was that there's also a junction box location dimension. So it'll say, the location from the top or the bottom of the uh, sconce backplate to where the junction box is. So it, it can get very nuanced, which is very helpful for installation sheets, for mm -hmm. um, spec sheets, for uh, people that are actually using that information to make sure it will fit in a job or a location. So this is a big unwieldy project and, and it's not as if all the fields are already decided it continues to evolve yes so that is part of the goal of the product data standard committee is to try and find those common denominators amongst the different ways that people refer to the data need to use the data and how customers are requesting the different fields to be formatted all of those types of nuances so we are actively trying to update it because it has been a few years since it has been updated. We are trying to approach it category first because we feel like, as I mentioned, the sorting by category is such an important predictor of the other pieces mm. of data that unifying and finding that universal language for those is the, the best place to start. So that's where the committee is going to start researching what customers use for that terminology, what uh, manufacturers are calling it already, and try and find that common ground. Are all manufacturers using this product data standard? Does everyone submit their information to databases in the same way? The technology is pretty universal. We're all working in, you know, spreadsheets that customers need uploaded to put the data into their interfaces and their systems. But everyone's system is different. So no mm -hmm. two manufacturers have the same needs for their data. No two customers have the same needs for how they want to present their data. So we're just trying to 
give kind of a North star for folks to say, mm -hmm. here's what the industry standard is. Here's what we recommend everyone call it. And as we continue to improve it, that will be more beneficial to everyone. Liz, thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate your laying that out for us. No problem. Thank you for having me. Hi, Jen. Welcome. Thanks for joining me. Hello. Hello. We have Jennifer Bronze, who is from the Light and Health Research Center at Mount Sinai. You might remember her from one of our earlier episodes about light and health. She is going to give us a little bit of a rundown of what she was doing at Lightovation a couple of weeks ago, talking about developing products to better entrain circadian rhythms. Yes, it was a great trip to Dallas to see some of the products that are on the floor and to talk to several manufacturers that are ALA members about a new program that ALA is starting to encourage manufacturers to develop healthy lighting for homes. What we like about the home for healthy lighting is that that's where we start our day and that's where we end our day. Um, and if you've listened to any of the other podcasts or webinars that we've done, uh, we're addressing the fact that it's important to have very high light levels in our mornings and then low light levels in our evening. So that's a great opportunity for ALA members to build some beautiful light fixtures, much more beautiful than, uh, than my colleagues in the lab can build. It's quite hilarious, some of the, uh, the kind of parts we kludge together to be able to study healthy lighting in people's homes. Yes, so these will be products that will then be on the market. And will there be a certification from the Light and Health Research Center to go along with it? Or how exactly it's will those be It's going to be, be a label, labeling program um, that ALA will be producing and there'll be a set of measurement criteria, but it's not a certification. It's going to be a, a set of criteria that ALA will be establishing and we'll be helping with uh, developing those criteria. And we'll be working with a few of the, the first manufacturers that are going to be part of the program to uh, help them develop and test their first set of products to, to meet these needs. And the needs would be high light levels in the morning, low light levels at in the evening. So that sounds like controls are going to be important to the types of products that, that the ALA members are going to be providing as part of this program. Great. And so, like you said, this is a program that you're currently doing with manufacturers to develop the products, but this is a huge opportunity for showrooms to, like you said, provide products in the home where people are spending more and more time. A lot of us spend our entire day at home with uh, remote work. And so it's a, a huge sales opportunity for our showrooms once these products start to hit the market. Well, that's where ALA comes in, really, <laughs> where we think it's really valuable to have real humans in showrooms uh, educate the customer about the importance of lighting in their homes uh, and then show them some more beautiful examples uh, of, of products from ALA manufacturers' lines. That's great. I'm really excited to see where this goes and to have some beautiful products that fit in with the needs for circadian entrainment. Indeed, indeed. Thank you, Jen. I appreciate hearing about this initiative and I can't wait to see where it goes. Thanks, Raelle. We're looking forward to it as well. That was a lot of really interesting and up and coming topics. We hope you enjoyed them. Please email us at podcast at to tell us what you want to hear more about. 
yes, if you liked those topics and want a little deeper dive, please feel free to let us know about that. Or if there's something else you saw at Lightovation that we didn't talk about, we would love to hear what that was as well. That concludes our bonus episode. We now return you to our regularly scheduled programming. Stay brilliant.